Those people, and you can see them even in their religions, in a sense, they knew God. I mean, they knew somebody made the things that they were looking at. Any honest heathen will tell you that somebody made this thing. Somebody is out there. Somebody holds me accountable. I remember years ago watching, I don't even remember the name of the movie, but I was watching a movie with my father where the Greeks, this is back, this is in antiquity, in order to avoid uh, being cursed by the gods, they would sacrifice a virgin, kill a woman, and sacrifice her to a god, to whatever god. And I remember turning to my father and saying to him in Spanish, you know, in every culture, and my father didn't even hesitate, they redeem with blood. Simple as that. He's like, if you notice every culture, and my father just turns to me, se redime con sangre. They redeem with blood. Why? Who, who teaches people that if they do something wrong, somebody needs to be given up as a substitution? Who teaches that? You see that in every religion. You see that when, when the Africans were brought over to Puerto Rico and they brought their religions, what, what is it that they're doing? They kill chickens, they spread their blood. Who teaches people that when somebody does something wrong, blood needs to be spilled as a substitution? Because they know God, but they don't honor Him as God, what the Apostle Paul is saying. What, what can be known about God is revealed to them, but they deny it, he says. They dishonor Him, they do not give thanks to Him, and their hearts become darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and creeping things. Those are your idols. Whenever you look at an idol that somebody worships, it's gonna be a man, it's gonna be a lizard, it's gonna be whatever, some created thing, rather than the God who made them. Therefore, because of that, God gave them over to the loss of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Welcome to the Followers of the Way podcast for October 28, 2018. Today, Brother Omar brings us part two of his message series called Statement of Faith, Doctrine of Sin. Brother Omar reminds us that we as humans are born with a condition, and apart from God, we are condemned to death because we are under sin. Now, although this condition exists, Brother Omar gives us the biblical solution to this condition. Brother Omar teaches us that the only way out of this condition is to repent of our sins and accept the gift of eternal life with Jesus Christ. So grab your Bible and follow along with us as we explore God's Word here on Followers of the Way. So we're back with our Statement of Faith series, The Doctrine of Sin. We talked about last time, we gave a broad, general definition of what sin was or sin is. It's a fundamental doctrine in the Bible, which unfortunately is not talked about much nowadays. But what we did last time, we spoke on it from 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, which reads that sin is the transgression of the law. I gave a quick definition of the three aspects of God's law, the ceremonial law, the civic 
judicial and moral law. And we explain how the moral law is the basis of all law, that being that rule of action that is a reflection of God's character. Now God's law, or the moral law, is expressed in His Ten Commandments given to Moses and Sinai. And theologians divide these commandments in two tables. You sometimes read about the first table of the law, the second table of the law. Now, depending on the theologian, they're going to divide this differently, but typically the first table would be those commandments that relate to you and God. You should have no other gods before me. You know, thou shalt not commit idolatry and so forth. Those are the commandments that have to do with your relationship with God. Do not make yourself any carved image. Do not take the Lord's name in vain, etc. Now the second table of the law is that which relates to man. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not murder. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, etc. Well, those things are commandments that relate between you and your fellow man, right? You, you cannot lie to God. God sees everything. But you could lie to your fellow man. You steal from your fellow man, etc. So, the theologians divide it differently. Some people take the first three commandments as the first table. Some people take the first four. Some people take the first five. Depending how you divide it, etc., the law of God is something that has to do between you and God and you and man. Now, Jesus summarized the whole law the following way. He says in Matthew 22, he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So what does he mean? He means that loving the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, that's the first table of the law. Loving your neighbor as yourselves is the second table of the law. If you love your neighbor, you do not rob him, you do not steal from him, you do not commit adultery, you do not covet his stuff, etc. So the first and the second table of the Ten Commandments will be the whole of the law. So God's law is summarized in these Ten Commandments um, in the first and second table. Now, that's sort of like a brief general summary. Uh, technically, we could have entire Bible studies on God's law and the different aspects of it, but this is sort of like a general summary, and I don't want to get into that because then we'll be here for several years. So, our statement of faith reads as follows. God, in His infinite wisdom and goodness, created man in His image to be in relationship with Him that man, out of his own free will, rebelled against God and fell onto a state of sin. And that not only Adam, but all of his progeny after him. Therefore, as descendants of Adam, we have also been born into this state of sin, affecting each one of our affections and desires, making us incapable, no matter the efforts whatsoever, to attain any kind of righteousness necessary to regain proper relationship with God. So our statement of faith in the section that deals with man and sin says, the man out of his own free will rebelled against God and fell until a state of sin, not only Adam, but all of his progeny after him. Now that portion, what it says that not only Adam, but all of his progeny after him is a summary of Romans chapter 5, verse 12. If you go to Romans chapter 5, verse 12, you will see more or less the, what I just read stated there. 
Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says this. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted when there is no law, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin. So, Romans chapter 5, if you read the book of Romans, Paul is basically laying down his doctrine. It's almost as like somebody asked Paul, what do you believe? He wrote Romans. So the entire book of Romans is a systematic laying down of Paul's theology. This is what the Christian faith is about. So if you read through the book of Romans, the first couple of chapters are spent in Paul laying down his idea of why this gospel is necessary. So when we get to Romans chapter 5, Paul is proving his doctrine of justification by faith. And he gets to this point in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, where he begins to speak about why is it necessary to be saved by grace through faith. And so, Paul begins by going back all the way back to Adam. He brings us all the way back to the beginning. Sin entered the world through one man. That one man is Adam. Sin came into the world through Adam. As a result of this, death came. Now, we have several implications Number one, it implies that Adam, in some sense, was our representative. In other words, when God speaks to Adam and gives him a command, he's not only speaking to Adam as just that one person, but in view of the entire human race. Because Adam is, in a sense, our father. We all come from Adam. We prove that in the doctrine of man. So, Adam, in some sense, is our representative. Adam was told to be fruitful and multiply, which though it is a command just given to him, is a command that we all understand applies to all of us. So, moreover, we're told that in the sin entered the world through one man, it's an obvious reference to Adam, even though Adam was not the first one who disobeyed God's command. If you look at the narrative, Eve was the first one who disobeyed God's command. But for some reason, the scripture speaks not of the fall of Eve, but of the fall of Adam. Sin entered the world when Adam sinned. So, it was his transgression, even though he wasn't the first one to disobey, it was his transgression that brought death through sin. Furthermore, this implies there was some sort of covenant in Adam. God made a promise to Adam that he would live, provided that he not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Otherwise, he would die. Now, typically, if you look at Scripture, we don't, we don't call them covenants today. We call them agreements. Uh, a covenant is a little bit more serious than an agreement in Scripture. And God, if you look at the way covenants come about, you need two parties you need a promise, a condition, and a penalty. So when you look at the narrative in Genesis, you have two parties. You have God and Adam, God and man, right? You have a promise, you will live. You have a condition, do not eat of the tree. 
and you have a penalty. If you do, you die. So what you're looking at is you're looking at a covenant made with Adam. God made a covenant with Adam. Since we're all affected by Adam's sin, as the apostle says, and if any group that is affected by the breaking of an agreement, even though they do not personally agree to it, but a representative, it holds that Adam was our federal head before God. He was our representative before God. Even though we weren't there, he was there as our representative. In Hosea chapter 6, verse 7, reads like this, But like Adam, they, speaking of Israel, transgressed the covenant. There they dealt faithlessly with me. So Hosea is a prophet hundreds of years later. And he's speaking about, God is speaking through Hosea about the condition of the people of Israel at the time. And he's saying, they are disobeying me. They have transgressed the covenant like Adam did. So the implication here is, or the first observation is that they transgressed God's covenant, which implies that Adam was in a covenant with God. Also that the people of Israel were in covenant with God. Yet none of those people whom Hosea was addressing were there when the covenant was made. This is hundreds of years later. God did not make a covenant with every individual Israelite, but the idea of a representative head making a covenant in behalf of a group is taught in Scripture, especially if the covenant is for good, as the Mosaic covenant was. So God makes a covenant with Moses, yet years later, the people who are in disobedience were breaking the covenant, even though they themselves were not there or even alive when the covenant was made. But Moses was their federal head. That is an idea that is taught in Scripture. So, when the Apostle Paul says that by one man sin came into the world and death through sin, that one man, Adam, was our representative. And as our representative, he, his disobedience, affect all of us as a representative of the human race. Since Adam sinned, and in some sense, the whole human race was implicated with him, as a result of that sin, death came into the world. Now, what does the Apostle Paul mean by death? Is it just physical death that came into the world? The answer to the question is in the following verses. If you take a look at Romans chapter 5, verse 12, it goes like this. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of him who was to come. Then the Apostle Paul starts doing something interesting. He starts contrasting Adam and Jesus. He goes like this. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many die through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abound for many. The free gift is not like the result of one man's sin. The judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. That's a contrast. Adam's sin brought what? Death and with death came condemnation. Jesus, the opposite, his free gift brings justification. Right? But the free gift, following many trespasses, brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass. Now, notice the emphasis. One man, one man, one man. One man's trespass, death reigned 
through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one man's trespass led to condemnation to who? To just him? No. For all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. By one man's obedience, many were made, will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace will reign through righteousness leading to eternal life. So we have a couple of things here. The death that was incurred in Adam brought condemnation. Sinfulness, unrighteousness, and death. Now the death, contrasted to eternal life, is also eternal death. So it's not just physical death. Adam didn't just die physically, which he eventually did, right? Adam is not around. It took about 900 years, but he eventually died. But he also incurred eternal death and condemnation and separation from God. So the death that spreads from Adam to all men is a death that brings condemnation, judgment, eternal death, unrighteousness, and all those things the Apostle Paul is talking about. So, verse 16 says, The one trespass brought condemnation and judgment. Verse 21, Sin brought eternal death. That is, the death that was incurred by Adam, the death which brought condemnation and judgment and sinfulness and eternal death has spread to all men. Why? Because all have sinned. You see, it's not as if Adam sinned and God put a label on all of us saying guilty, even though we were like innocent, good people. It's not how it goes. Yes, Adam is a representative and his sin brought condemnation to us all, but on top of that, we all have sinned. We are all personally guilty for our own unrighteousness. We have all disobeyed God. So it's not just Adam, it's you and me. In following that example, we have disobeyed God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the curse of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived. It's funny, he says, you were dead because of your trespasses and sins in which you once lived. So you could be dead while living in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We were all dead while we lived in trespasses and sins. I think it's in 1 Timothy 6, I believe it says, that she that liveth in sin is dead while she liveth. I can only memorize King James, I don't know. <laughs> she that liveth in sin is dead while she liveth. So you can be alive and dead while living, the Bible says, if you're dead in sins. Romans chapter 8, verse 5 says this, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. 
but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So to set your mind on the things in the flesh is to be dead. We ourselves, not just Adam, are sinful and wicked. We're born unto condemnation and judgment. And yes, we are dead on account of Adam, but we're also dead on account of ourselves and have no excuse whatsoever. Now that is the weighty truth of the Word of God which unfortunately today we don't like to hear. The modern man does not like to hear that he is a sinner. We, we, we have these uh, doctrines of self-esteem and you're great and all that. But the Bible doesn't see us that way. You know, if you look at John chapter 3, verse 16, what does it say? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For he did not come into the world to condemn the world, right? He who believes, what does he say? He who believes will have eternal life. He who does not believe is condemned already. Jesus says, I don't come into the world to condemn the world. The world is already being condemned. I came here so those who believe in me could escape the condemnation which they are already in. I'm not here to condemn everybody. You've already been condemned. God did that back in Adam, and you have followed that. I'm here to not bring condemnation, but to bring salvation. So we ourselves, we ourselves, not only Adam, are sinful and wicked and born unto condemnation. Lastly, I know it's lastly, but it's not the end. Halfway through. I'm not the only one. Paul, some, I think it's in Philippians, Paul says, and lastly, and then it's like three other chapters. So. <laughs> All right. Lastly, I want to give an explanation of the verses 13 and 14, which are sort of like a parenthesis in, in Romans chapter 5, uh, verse 13 and 14, which goes like this. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not a Counted where there is no law, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So, Paul says, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Now, if you remember from last week, I said, quoting scripture, that sin is the transgression of the law. Paul says, sin was in the world before the law. And where there is no law, there is no sin. So how were they sinning if there was no law, if sin is a transgression of the law? That's what I'm going to attempt to explain. Um, first of all, Paul was no dummy. He knew what he was talking about. All right? Paul says that sin was in the world before the law was given, and, therefore, and sin is not accounting where there is no law. So how could this be? Now remember that the book of Romans, like I said at the beginning, is a... Uh, a laying down of his doctrine, and it goes in order, and it goes very, you know, he's progressing in what he's explaining. Now, Paul is writing this book also in mind, in the back of his mind, he has the objections of the Jewish people, right? So Paul is writing about this doctrine of justification by faith, but he's writing it in the back of his mind as a Jew, 
knowing the objections of the Jewish people about the law. Paul is setting out to prove that salvation is by grace through faith apart from the works of the law. Paul even goes on to show that this is the way that people have always been saved in Romans chapter 4 by going all the way back to Adam. So if you go to Romans chapter, um, not Adam, Abraham. If you go to Romans chapter 4, Paul says this, when, when shall we say, what then shall we say was gained by, by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not accounted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So Paul, Paul set up, he's, he's proving his case. Not only is my doctrine that I'm teaching you something new, this is how Abraham was saved. How was Abraham saved? When was Abraham declared righteous? Before the law? Yes. Before circumcision? Yes. So Paul is proving his point that salvation is apart from the works of the law. So that's what, when he speaks about sin was in the world before the law was given, he's talking about the Mosaic covenant. He's talking about Moses. In fact, he says that death reigned from Adam to Moses. So you have this period between Adam and Moses of 2,500 years. It's actually, there has been more time between Adam and Moses than it is from us to Christ. That's how long it was. So during this period, no law was given. No revelation came down from Sinai about any type of law. It was a period of darkness, yet men were dying. Because if the result of sin is death, right, and men are dying, what Paul is explaining is death reigns from Adam to Moses before the law was given. So how were they dying? Romans chapter 1, Paul spends a long time, Romans chapter 1, explaining how people, Gentiles, die and sin, though they have no law. Chapter 1, verse 18 says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, and unrighteousness of men, who by their own righteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Paul is saying that the heathen outside of Israel who know nothing about the law of God or the Old Testament sin because what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. The heathen, no matter where you are, you can be in a jungle in South America, you can be in a jungle in Detroit, it doesn't matter where you're at, God has shown himself to every human being. Whether in the things that are made in nature or even in their own conscience, all men have to, at some point in their lives, deny God. Don't believe anybody or any atheist that says, I just don't believe there is a God. You're denying that there is a God. Let God be true and every man a liar. The Bible says all men have known God and those who say that he's not there are denying him. Why? For his invisible attributes, verse 20, 
namely his eternal power and divine nature has been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, all men know God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. The heathen, that are outside of God's law, that have no revelation, no God, either in the things that are seen or in the creation or even in their own consciousness, they knew God, but do not honor him or give him thanks. So, we're here overlooking this little hill here and say 300 years ago there was nothing here. Woods. 400 years ago, you go back. It's nothing but woods here. But there were Indians and people who lived around this area. So you ask yourself, you have an Indian guy looking out here into all these woods and looking into the sky and looking into the sunset. How, how did God see that man before civilization before Protestants came over or the Spaniards came over or whoever came over with the Bible, there were people living here in this area. How did God see those people? You see, those people, and you can see them even in their religions, in a sense, they knew God. I mean, they knew somebody made the things that they were looking at. Any honest heathen will tell you that somebody made this thing. Somebody is out there. Somebody holds me accountable. I remember years ago watching, I don't even remember the name of the movie, but I was watching a movie with my father where the Greeks, this is back, this is in antiquity, in order to avoid uh, being cursed by the gods, they would sacrifice a virgin. They would kill a woman and sacrifice her to a god, to whatever god. And I remember turning to my father and saying to him in Spanish, you know, in every culture, and my father didn't even hesitate, they redeem with blood. Simple as that. He's like, if you, if you notice every culture, and my father just turns to me, se redime con sangre. They redeem with blood. Why? Who, who teaches people that if they do something wrong, somebody needs to be given up as a substitution? Who teaches that? You see that in every religion. You see that when, when the Africans were brought over to Puerto Rico and they brought their religions, what, what is it that they're doing? They kill chickens. They spread the blood. Who teaches people that when somebody does something wrong, blood needs to be spilled as a substitution? Because they know God, but they don't honor him as God. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. What, what can be known about God is revealed to them, but they deny it, he says. They dishonor him. They do not give thanks to him, and their hearts become darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and creeping things. Those are your idols. Whenever you look at an idol that somebody worships, it's going to be a man, it's going to be a lizard, it's going to be whatever, some created thing, rather than the God who made them. Therefore, because of that, God gave them over to the loss of their hearts, to impurity, 
to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So Paul proves his point about the heathen and about those who live outside of God's law. You see, the law of God does not make you a sinner. Before coming here, I looked at myself in the mirror. It would be very foolish if I looked at my mirror and said, why do you make me ugly? The mirror doesn't make me ugly. The mirror just shows my face. The law of God doesn't make you a sinner. The law of God is a mirror. It shows that you're already a sinner. By pointing, by, and therefore as such, it increases your guilt. Because now you know. So, when Paul, in the book of Romans, sets out, he begins by addressing the heathen. He's telling, in the book of, of Romans, this is how the heathen who are outside of Israel can be condemned before God, not because they didn't know. When people stand before God, they're not going to say, you know, I didn't know. They, they're going to say, I could have, I should have, but I didn't. So, chapter 2 of Romans, Paul turns around and addresses his people. And he says this in verse 12, chapter 2, verse 12. He says, For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it's not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. So if you have no law, you're going to be judged according to your conscience. If you have a law, you're going to be judged or whether or not you obey the revealed law that was given to you. Either way, you will be judged because God shows no partiality. So, for when, verse 14, the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written in their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. Paul is saying, if there was a Gentile, he's not saying that there are Gentiles who keep the law. If there were, then they're acting according to what they understand is right. Because the law of God, the moral law of God, is written upon the hearts of every human being. Simple as that. This is how you, when you look at, you know, you know that all religions basically teach about the same stuff. You shouldn't kill people. Right? All, even Islam teaches that. Now, some religious teaches you couldn't, you shouldn't kill the people in your tribe. You could kill the people in the other tribe, but you shouldn't keep kill the people in your tribe. You shouldn't do that. Right? No culture has ever built a statue for a man who was a hypocrite. Who's that? Well, that's our hypocrite. He's the best hypocrite we've had, son. And when you grow up, you should aspire to be like that hypocritical man. Nobody has ever done that. Because man is created in the image of God, and they have God's law written upon their hearts. So, and they sin against it, their conscience bears witness to that. And so, verse 17, but if you call yourself a Jew, if you call yourself a Jew, and rely on the law and boast in God, and know His will and approve what is excellent, because you're instructed from the law, if you're sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, the Jews thought themselves that they were superior, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having the law in the law, the embodiment of knowledge and truth, then you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? 
while you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rub temples? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law, for it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. So now Paul is addressing his people, the Jewish people who had the law, who claimed to have a superior way of life. And he says to them, you're in the same place. You have not kept what you know to be right. You have disobeyed God's law. And just like the Gentile, you'll be condemned equally because in Romans chapter 3, he says that we, verse 9, what then? Are the Jews any better off? Not at all. Not at all. For we have already charged or proved that both Jews and Greeks are under sin. Both Jews and Greeks are under sin. Those from Adam to Moses and those after Moses who disobeyed the clear commands of God are under sin. Under sin. We don't just do sins. We are under sin. Now that is an amazing implication. Sin is a thing upon which we're under, upon, from which we cannot get out of. We are under sin. So the Apostle Paul, when he says those who sin, you know, from Adam to Moses, though they didn't have a law, they were sinning against the understandings of their own conscience, and therefore death reigned from Adam to Moses, because people were sinning against their own consciences. God gave them over to their own passions. So, in conclusion, this is our condition apart from Jesus Christ. If you're outside of Christ, this is your condition, inevitably. You are judged, you are dead, and you are condemned, and you're under sin apart from Jesus Christ, whether you like it or not. All human beings upon this planet who are outside of Christ are under that condition. That's who we were. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6 says this, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, idolater, adulterer, men who practice homosexuality, thieves, greedy, drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindles will inherit the kingdom of God. As such were some of you. So this is who we are outside of Christ. This is your relatives who are outside of Christ, your family members, your co-workers, your bosses, the politician that does things that you don't like. Why? He's outside of Christ. He's in this category. He's under sin. He's, he's under sin, under condemnation, under judgment, and dead in his own trespasses, though he lives. That's everybody. That's all of us outside of Christ. John 3.16, like I said, says this, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, which is what we're doing outside of Christ, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not is condemned 
already. Judgment has been passed already, and humanity is lost, wicked, sinful, and depraved. The world was plunged into chaos. That is the human condition outside of Christ. That's who we are. Everybody else that you know, and that's who we were. As such were some of you. I love that verse. As such were some of you. If you look at all the sins listed there, you would think those are sins of our modern times. But Paul wrote this 2,000 years ago. And there were people whom he was writing to that met those categories because he tells them, as such were some of you. You were all in this one of these conditions. But, he continues, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. This is who you were, but, a great three-letter word in the Bible, but you were washed and sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So the question is, have you? Does this apply to you? Have you been washed, sanctified, and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God? That is a question that every human being and anybody who professes Jesus Christ need to ask themselves, have we been washed from this list that he just gave us? Because if we have not, then we're under sin and we're still an Adam. And we're still incurring all of those things that were listed by the Apostle Paul. Condemnation, judgment, not only physical death, but also spiritual death. Death reigned from Adam to Moses. That's an unbelievable sentence. Death reigned like a king, like a monarch. It ruled. You had to bow down to it. That was death upon the human race. In fact, the Bible says that when Christ came, he defeated, when he resurrected, why was it important that he had to resurrect? Because in resurrecting, he defeated death. And now he became the monarch. And now he is the one who reigns. But death reigned. And outside of Christ still reigns. Everybody bows down to death eventually. Not only physical death, but spiritual death and the condemnation and judgment that it brings. But for those who are in Christ, they were washed, sanctified, and justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So the question is, have we, is there a but you were washed in our lives and have been sanctified and justified in the name of our Lord? Are you still in Adam? the question that we need to ask ourselves. And today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Now is the favorable time. Today is the day of salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you, Lord, that you came to take away our condemnation, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you pulled us out of Adam and you brought us to you. We thank you for your word that washes our hearts, Lord, and washes our minds and our consciousness, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for your word 
that shows us who we are and for the hope that is in your grace that restores us to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Followers of the Way podcast. If you like more information about Followers of the Way Church, visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash FOTW Church. Again, that's www.facebook.com forward slash FOTW Church. We trust and hope that you've enjoyed hearing God's word and how to apply it to our lives. Our podcast is updated weekly, so remember to follow us here at Followers of the Way.